When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's Mortgage Mentor. With more than 30 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings, you'll learn to take your mortgage practice to new heights. Certified Mortgage Planner and CEO of KineticSparkConsulting.com. Here is Jennifer Duplessis. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome to uh, our group of of individuals who are trying to level up themselves in the industry. Uh, Today, I want to introduce our guest speaker. Um, His name is David Friedman, and I'm sorry, Dave, Dave Friedman, and um, he is from Keller Williams Realty in South Carolina, and uh, I just want to take this quick minute to introduce him so that you know who we're talking to. Uh, He is um, an award-winning real estate agent. He's in the top 1%. He's been a top producing realtor for 13 years, uh, the time that he's been um, in the real estate business, which he will tell us about his transitions there. Um, he spent the last 15 years analyzing the home buying and selling process for his clients, and he has dedicated his time to streamlining his processes and improving their results. This is huge for us because this is exactly what we always Um, seek to do is improve our systems and be able to scale our business. Um, And so he is um, extremely committed to helping others in the industry, learning from others, and continuing he and his team's education so that they can always ensure that they are offering the best advice and information in today's market. Um, He is married and um, loves fishing, so that all of you know, um, and is in the process of getting his pilot's license. And the best part about all this is he is only 36 years old, so he's got all kinds of things to be able to um, achieve in um, his career. So welcome to our show, Dave. So happy to have you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on the show. Great. So let's get started with um, how you got into the business and, you know, where it's taken you here. If you can kind of condense that into about three minutes or so, just where you started and, and how you got to where you are now. Sure. Yeah, thank you for asking. So my, my parents uh, were in real estate development, and so I was born into the industry and have always loved real estate. I, when I turned 18, um, I spent the summer between high school and college uh, getting my real estate license, and my mom just encouraged me to do it, and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. However, after I graduated college, I went off and got a job with Centex Homes, and I worked with them for a long time. And uh, before Centex throughout college, I helped buyers and sellers here or there, but um, you know, it was focusing more on my education and such. And so in 2008, I moved to Charleston, South Carolina. And in 2013, I decided to get into general brokerage and out of new construction sales. And so that was uh, February 2013. I uh, went to Remax. And my first year in the business, I sold about 30 homes. And then the next year, I went over to Keller Williams, and I'm still there, and now I have a team. So we went from 30 homes 
to uh, 45 the next year, the year after we jumped up to 128. And the last year we did uh, 209. And this year we're on pace to do, our goal is 380, and we're on pace to do about 410. Awesome. That's great. Well, congratulations. So um, that, that switch from, you know, going back to Syntax, um, I imagine that uh, now your volume is mirroring pretty much what you were dealing with at Syntax because, you know, you, it's not like a traditional real estate agent who gets in the business and, um, you know, is just looking for anything that they can get uh, to sell or to, you know, help people buy. So when you're at Centex, you know, obviously you've got a lot of volume coming in. I imagine that some of your experience in how you set up your systems that you'll be talking about um, and your scalability really derived from that Centex world. Would you agree, or can you expand on that a little more? Yeah, I would definitely agree. You know, working for, I never thought I would work for a corporation, and it was definitely the best thing that, that I ever did. I studied and majored in entrepreneurship. It was a new degree at the university I went to. And, uh, but, you know, it was a great experience. They, they taught me a great selling system and, you know, the philosophy, their philosophy on sales, which is fantastic. And in addition to that, I gained a appreciation for systems and processes, which I wouldn't have had without them. And um, that has really helped me uh, build a scalable business here in Charleston and something that we like to expand in other markets. So, you know, the, it was started with the end in mind, which was to build a real estate team that was scalable and something that you could duplicate. And I, I really appreciate everything that they delivered to me and helping me understand um, how to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so so you you know you started off your first year. Were you uh, working by yourself at that time? Your first year? Yeah, first year I was a solo agent, so just on my own. And mm-hmm. I went through I went through a lot of uh, leadership growth in the first year and had a few different assistants come and go and so there were a lot of growing pains there and trying to you know focus on driving revenue but at the same time finding leverage and so um, in year two is is when I really started to level up my game as it relates to you know becoming a leader that I would need to be to attract talent to keep them and help them grow. And so in year two, in 2014, is when I first had my first admin that stuck around, and then later in that year, in October, I hired my first buyer agent. Okay, good. Well, and I was going to ask you, who did you hire first and why? And I'm, I'm so glad that you hired your admin first because uh, get yourself out of the weeds <laughs> to start off. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's absolutely. probably one of the, the first thing. Yeah. The, one of the first yeah, things so to, to be considering. Everybody, you know, in today's world, you know, will always ask me if I have an IFA first, and it's always a hard to know on that. And nobody wants to prospect, and so they want to leverage the one thing that they don't like. However, you know, I've seen everybody fail at making that first hire. And really, the first hire that you need is a good admin to set up your operations, and that way you can continue to focus on the one thing that makes you successful, which is driving revenue and cash and helping buyers and sellers. So the first, yeah. you know, the first person you want to hire is an admin, and my admin, first uh, admin that I had, and she was around for about two and a half years, and she was a hostess at a restaurant, you know, and, and she stuck with me for two and a half years and built out about 90% of her operations. 
Wow. Wow, that's good. And that's a good hire. I mean, it's not always the case. And I know that, um, so we'll stay on this topic for just a moment. Um, you know, that seems to be something that we see in, in the mortgage industry is loan officers who really need to be hiring um, that first assistant or administrator. We call it a loan officer assistant, but really need to be hiring that person sooner rather than later. And I think what happens is that um, the whether it's ego, whether it's fear of hiring or letting things go, or the fear that the real estate agent or the other referral partner, you know, wants me, they don't want some other person on my team, uh, they want me, that they, uh, you know, don't hire the person until it's too late when they have perhaps ruined their reputation because they can't fulfill uh, all the needs of the scale, you know, the scale that's starting to happen. And as a result, it unscales itself, you know, it starts dropping back down. Um, so what are, what are some of your thoughts on um, the fear of that? I, lo- I love that you said, you know, that you needed to up-level your leadership so that you could hire the right talent uh, to come in and take care of, you know, the other, the other parts of your business that, that uh, are not your highest and best use. So what are your thoughts on someone who's, you know, thinking, you know, I, yeah, I heard everybody wants me to hire someone, but, you know, they want me. And what are your thoughts on uh, trying to hire the right person? What kind of tips can you give us in on both of those fronts? Sure. Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Uh, you know, my, my limiting belief was that, you know, that same exact thing, you know, people are, are hiring me to, to work with me, and they're not going to appreciate me passing them to somebody else. And then in addition, I think that the bigger fear was, and it was more of an ego than anything, is that nobody is going to do as good of a job as I am. Yep. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you know passing, passing business off to somebody, or, you know, to somebody else and, and trusting for them to, to deliver the same kind of service and experience that the UL is, is nerve-wracking, especially when you're making that first hire. But at the end of the day, what I learned is that this has been our mantra ever since. Is that uh, so? The one thing I learned from that experience is, is I was able to take a lot off my plate by transitioning buyers over to my first buyer agent, and she was with me for about six months. Um, J- Jackie's still living, but she was with me for six months before we decided to draw a line in the sand and and me not work with um, buyers at all. So I hired her in October, and then the next March is the date that we picked. And it was March 31st. I dedicated to never meeting with a buyer ever again. And it's not because I don't love my clients, but I needed to be able to help her grow and give her more business. And in addition, me gain a lot of time back so I can focus more on listings and, and building more of a team. And so what happened in between October and March, it'd be really October to January, I, I realized that she was serving these clients better than I was and much uh-huh. better at, at it than I was because – her personality was just a better fit for that kind of for that kind of work, and she's more of a patient person. She's more of a loving person, and um, nurturer. And it, and, yeah, and, and it, yeah, it just was a better nurturer than you know. My clients love me, and I love them. But at the end of the day, like I just saw her being so much better with that position, and um, and she and she because she was only focusing on that one thing, and then I was able to go focus on. Another one thing, she developed her skills far better than I ever had because there was just so much more repetition on one thing than trying to be the master of all. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that, um, 
You know, I think that we, you know, in real estate too, I mean, anybody who's in sales, you know, like we all are, think that we can do it better. But as time goes on, you're scaling up, you know, you aren't 100% in each one of those categories. You eventually drop down and sometimes you're, you're at 40% uh, capacity or 40, you're work, doing the job 40%, 60% less, right? Um, and even hiring someone who does it 80%, they may not do it exactly the way you do it, but they, them doing it at 80% capacity versus you doing it at 40% capacity is a super improvement in your, in your business. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Would you agree with that, that that's part of it is letting go and understanding and recognizing that um, you can't be everything? No, you, you can't. And you, you'll never have a work-life balance, you know, in, in mm -hmm. any of these businesses at all if you are the technician for every single mm -hmm. task in your business and yeah you know at a certain absolutely. point you have to hire other technicians to de delegate to and just narrow, narrow your focus so so you're yeah. you're not doing the job anymore and having better people do it for you right so what what does your handoff sound like when you're you're um you know, you've received a referral and it's, you know, they said that, you know, my, hey, my friend said I should call you and they talked to you first. What's your handoff with, between you and your buyer agent? You know, that's a great question. If I receive a call from, from a past client that, you know, has a referral, um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll let them know that you know, I'd like to take great care of them and my team and I work together um, to provide the best service that we can. And, you know, you're, you're hiring 12 people, not one, and that's how we can guarantee that you're going to have a great experience. And so I just set the expectations up front that they'll be working with, you know, several people throughout the process. And, you know, thank them for the referral, and I give the referral a call. And with, with the agent that, that will be working with them, or sometimes I'll just have that agent who had to call that referral, and just say, you know, you know, let's say it was Mr. Jones that gave us the referral, they, they might just say, hey, you know, Dave and I talked to Mr. Jones, and we're so excited to be, you know, here to, to help you and, and just proceed with, you know, our, our questions and fill out the questionnaire and proceed with an appointment. So okay. Great. it's important for, for them to feel like I'm part of that process as well. You know, Dave and I are very excited to be working with you yeah. and and just using my name throughout that conversation so they feel like I'm part yeah. of you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we call that the Dr. Hudler approach. Um, my oh, yeah. doctor, you know, is Dr. Hudler, and um, my husband said to me one day, hey, Dr. Hudler called and uh, gave me my test results, and I go, really, Dr. Hudler? And he said, yeah, yeah, Dr. Hudler. And I go, Dr. Hudler picked up the phone and gave you your results of your test? And he said, well, no, no, people at Dr. Hudler's office. And that really hit me, you know, really hit me saying, that, you know, the representation needs to be that way. And I, and I love that you're saying that because that is something that we, um, that we use in our, utilize in our, our process as well, is that every conversation, every email is, uh, you know, I'm calling from the office of Jen Duplessis. Um, you know, on behalf of Jen, she and I spoke about this. I've talked to her, you know, whatever the case may be. I, mean, I think we do have to elevate ourselves to a point where we are the expert and we are the doctor. Um, and in order to provide the same type of service that everyone's expecting. Because the reason you get business back is because they love the experience. And it yep. doesn't matter who's yep. providing the experience as long as the experience is drawn out in a system that gives that experience. 
I, I couldn't agree anymore. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about your systems and what you did to scale your systems. You just mentioned that you have 12 people. Is it, is it 12 plus you or 11 plus you? There are, uh, we have four buyer agents uh-huh. and two listing agents. And then we have a director of operations and a, a person that does HR and finance. And then we have four virtual assistants. Okay. Yeah, to do some, some of the other thing, the other um, small details and stuff. Um, so tell us about, you know, you did 45 um, transactions the first year and then you immediately, you know, ramped up. Was the ramp up due to um, the first hire, the, se- the first or second hire now allowing you to go out and uh, promote yourself to expand your business? Or was it, um, well, I guess I think they go in tandem. I'm, I'm imagining that they go in tandem. Or was it because now you um, are putting the things in place and you were able to, how were you able to generate that much more business coming in is I guess what I'm asking. Was it on the front side or was it on the back side or a combination? You know, that's a really good question. I was, what I was able to do was I was very focused on, on buyers initially. And, mm-hmm. you know, if anyone's building a real estate business, I think you want to start focusing on sellers to begin with. And as soon as I leveraged myself away from, from buyers and was able to dedicate 100% of my time and energy onto listings, um, I was able to grow extremely fast from there. Um, so the, you know, I dedicated, you know, three to four hours a day of prospecting mm-hmm. and, and if I wasn't prospecting, I was on appointments. And I delegated absolutely everything else. So, you know, I did a lot of the business myself at the time. And, yeah, out of the 124 deals, I think I did probably, you know, that next year, I think I did maybe maybe 70 of them or so. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was just a matter of I knew for a fact that the more listings, the more I the more I did lead generation, which is prospecting, the more listings I'd be able to obtain and the more business right. I would be able to generate from those listings. And that's what, that's what really spurred our growth. And that's still our focus today. Right. So what type of lead generation do you do? Are you doing cold calls? Are you networking? Are you calling expired listings? Are you knocking on doors? What are some of the types of activities that you do to generate that type of um, volume? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, we have a very, we have a, a prospecting culture, and so we have tight standards around prospecting as a team. So, you know, we, do, we don't really focus on open houses. We don't do door knocking. We don't circle prospect. We don't do a lot of the, a lot of the you know, networking, just the typical things that a lot of realtors do. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I do a good job, you know, marketing to drive us leads that are buyer or seller leads. And our number one goal is to make sure that we prospect enough to make sure that we call, we call each lead 15 times before we give up on them. And, mm-hmm. um, and five times in the first day that we, re- that we receive one. So we generate enough business or leads coming into business to, to be able to just focus on that and not have to leave to go network and such. You know, our sphere of influence and our, our referral business and sphere business is about a third of our business, but that's because right. of my marketing efforts to our database. It's not necessarily going right. out and shaking hands. Yeah, it's not new business. It's uh, you know, it's not even it's not returning either. It's just you know your database. Um, I call them my alumni. 
uh, my alumni are, you know, they're the people I go to that I can get referrals from and, you know, help them again if I need to. That's, yeah. that's what you're so, saying. So that rips into Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have our database segmented. Where we have we have a massive database of I think there's sixty thousand contacts in there. But but we have it segment, segmented. We have our raving fans, and those are the people that have used us yeah. in the past, have used us more than one, or have referred to somebody. So that's the three mm-hmm. criteria. Then the next are our advocates. Those are people that are likely to refer us business and have used us for business before. And then after mm-hmm. that, are passive. Those are people that we don't know whether we'll be able to get referrals from them or not. But but we segment them because we do a lot of really special things for the advocates and also the raving mm-hmm. fans. And then yeah. we do a lot of stuff for everyone else that we, we really, you know, put on the, the red carpet treatment for the raving fans and the advocates and trying to just yeah. give the advocates to a raving fan. Right. Right. Yep. I get it. I understand. I have a question. Why do you call them five times the first day? Uh, so the goal is to call them within five minutes of receiving them because you have a 106 times greater chance of connecting with them yep. if you call them within a yep. 5% response time. And call them uh-huh. five times that first day just because they, you know, they were interested that day and, and we want to make sure that we get in touch with them. And then our goal is to call them a total of 15 times over the first 21 days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, it sounds like you're getting your referrals maybe from online as well because of your marketing. Is your marketing um, social media marketing or is it the old fashioned type of marketing? Where, where does that lie that um, you get them sort of blindly like that? Sure. Yeah. So our database marketing is, so we market to anybody that's in our database. So if we have your mm-hmm. name, number, email address, and home address, then we're touching you 70 times a year. And it's mm-hmm. a 100% automated system, and it costs us about $14,000 a year to generate 70 touches. And mm-hmm. um, so it's just very much top-of-mind awareness. So when people say real estate, we're the first ones that come to mind, and they're likely to say our name. Right, right. How are people drawn into your funnel? You know, we have a lot of different lead sources. So, uh-huh. you know, if we ever find a business card or, receive a business card or anything like that. We just are pretty relentless about adding people to it. Every single conversation we have with somebody, you know, our goal is to add them to our database, um, hopefully as a, what we call a qualified nurture, which is somebody that might buy or sell within the first 12 months. And if they're not mm-hmm. a qualified nurturer, then we just add them to the database, which is full fine. But we're just relentless about growing it on a daily basis. Yeah, so that you're top of mind constantly. When they think yeah. real estate, they think of you. Yeah. Yeah, that's so great. If we're calling sell by owners, or if we're calling expires, or generating leads, you know, we're always asking them for you know the best contact information for us to continue to stay in touch with them. Right. Okay. Great. Thank you so much for sharing so much. I really appreciate um, you sharing that because that that is very important for us as loan officers to learn of ways that top producing real estate agents are. Um, getting business so that when we're working with our real estate agents, we can provide them with some ideas. You know, we, I mean, a lot of times we find that we're coaching them because uh, they want to know how we can help their business grow. And Absolutely. so that, that, yeah, that gives us some um, great, great, great insight into that. So thank you so much. Um, all right. So I wanted to ask you then, um, as we sort of transition into some other um, topics of discussion, but is, um, how how can a loan officer get your attention? You know, we're, we're lots of loan officers on this call now or on this uh, podcast listening in. 
So what are some ways that, that loan officers can get a top producer's attention, especially when you're a listing agent? Now, we, you know, we're, we know it. We know the, the whole thing is like, oh, hi. Uh, yeah, I'm a listing agent. Stay away, lender. Um, it's a good excuse for us to not, to not be calling on you, okay? Um, because, you know, they say, oh, you know, if I'm a listing agent, they won't bother me. They only want to talk to me if I'm a buyer's agent. Um, and that's actually not true. But um, so what are some ideas, uh, you know, and I imagine you have relationships with some re- um, loan officers. What are some of the things that they do that, that uh, you love doing, you know, the, the reason you work with them, the reason that you can't be without them, and how do they get that attention? If you sure, can remember yeah. back that far, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, a few different ways. You know, I know that um, one way is, you know, that we've, we've had lenders in the past that have invested in leads themselves, and let's just say they're Zillow leads as an example. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, finding a partner, a realtor that wants to team up with them to mm-hmm. um, be able to take on and convert those into into buyers, which then right. becomes an opportunity for the for the lender as well, um, you know, that there's obviously some marketing investment that goes into that and you want to make sure that the, the realtor would be able to convert them into business, which is really important. Um, mm-hmm. You know, another way to go and target, you know, a listing agent is, you know, if, and, and these are examples that, that have one with me and um, mm-hmm. So I have like my lender now, he will, we, as a listing agent, my, I'm actually out of production, so I don't meet with buyers or sellers at all anymore. But, right, right. Um, so they, when my listing agents on the team receive an offer, they actually send that offer plus the buyer's agent's contact information to the lender. And we will have the lender pre-qualify that buyer, even if they have a pre-qualification from a different lender. We'll have that lender call the, the buyer and just let them know, hey, the seller wants our preferred lender to pre-qualify your buyer just to make sure that your, you know, pre-qualification is worth the paper that mm-hmm. it's written on because we've mm-hmm. received a lot of offers that had pre-quals and they didn't close because the lender didn't do their job and what they needed to. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing. It, it's, it's another. So it helps us by saving a lot of time for our sellers and a lot of their and save them a lot of money too by having our lender prequal the other side's buyer. And a lot of the times they'll capture that buyer at like I think about forty or fifty percent of the time. That's what our I was preferred ask. lender. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. or yep, our lender will, will capture that buyer as a client. Okay. Because now they throw yeah. their hand in the ring, you know, and they can send over, you know, an estimate and and if it's competitive and enough, then drip yeah. yeah, and they can drip campaign even if they don't get it. They can continue to drip into that to that um, process, yeah. Yeah, they okay. can add it to the That's... database, right? And mm-hmm. Yeah, just another way to, yeah. to grow it. Yeah. So how about the buying agent, on the buying agent thought process in that? Because I know you're moving, you've moved over to more listing, but you do have four buyer's agents. So how, how can a loan officer best um, serve a buying agent? Sure, absolutely. I mean, our, our number one focus is, you know, getting more appointments. So, you know, like a, a lead share or whatever, you know, you want to call it would be one thing that I had mentioned already. Um, yeah. Another way is, you know, just something that's extremely important to us if we're ever interviewing a new loan officer is I want to make sure that you're going to close on time. No exceptions mm-hmm. asked. We just have the expectation that you close on time 100% of the time. And the reason being is that 
we are like I'm okay working with a lender that's maybe not the best value. You know, maybe their rates are eighth higher or something like that. Mm-hmm. But at the at the end of the day, the the service that and the and the experience that our client receives when when they do close on time is so critical, and it saves them so much time and money when that occurs. The last thing that we want is for our buyer to have everything in their moving truck. And at the closing, and it doesn't occur, it is, it gets pushed back for a week. Now they're paying for a moving truck for a week or possibly storage and a hotel. And it puts so much stress on their family. And then as it relates to my team, it doubles the workload for my team. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we have frantic clients, you know, they are a complete mess. We're trying to do everything that we can to figure out how to cover the cost of this burden of the expense and, you know, and try to minimize the situation. So uh, closing on time, when I'm looking for a relationship with a, or if a buyer agent's looking for a relationship with a lender, it is to close on time every single time. So um, go ahead. Oh yeah. I was going to say the, uh, I guess the follow-up question I have to that, because uh, you know, I, anybody can say they can close on time. Yeah. I close on time. Uh, you know, anybody can say that, right? And sure. so I'm wondering, I'm wondering if we can back up a little bit, how, how do we get that person engaged with the buying agent from the very beginning that the, the fact that the buying agent would want to give a referral, not just, yeah, I close on time. Everybody sure. can say that. So how, what's going to be the that. one thing? Yeah. Yeah. No, so, and, you, and then you have to demonstrate it once you get a deal, Right. But, the, but sure. we, if we step back just a little bit more, what is it that, how can we get the attention of that real estate agent? Yeah, I think, Aside uh, from, I close 100% on time. Yeah, and I, I think the other part of that is, you know, somebody that can do a 30-day close and, again, close it on time every time. Um, you know, that's, that's another thing for me, too. Usually, there's a lot of lenders that call on me, and that's the, the first question I ask is, you know, can you close? consistently within 30 days. And then the second question is, do you, you know, can you close on time? A lot of lenders have told me they've just been upfront, like they need 40, 45 days and there's nothing else they can oh, do about well, it. Yeah. See, we can't do that in my market. We we're closing at 15. So, um, but again, so is everything, then what you're saying and then from a buyer's perspective, so as, as loan officers who are out saying, you know, I, I'm going to help them build their business by helping them, um, you know, do a first-time home buyer seminar. I'm going to help them by doing a client appreciation party with them. I'm going to help them do all these things. Mean absolutely nothing unless unless we're just, we should cease and desist and now start going on and just saying I close 100% on time and I can close in less than 30 days. And that's how I'm going to attract realtors. That's how you're going to win with my team because okay. the, the, when those two things don't occur, it it mm-hmm. it really derails my my team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, uh, like if my buyer okay. agent has a closing scheduled on the 15th of the month and mm-hmm. you know, each my buyer agents on average close 40 to 45 homes a year. And so they're extremely busy. And when a closing gets moved it, and we time block our days and our weeks in advance, it completely screws up everything. It derails all of our future lead generation. It derails, you know, maybe future yeah. appointments that we had scheduled and maybe now we can't even go to the closing. So now we're not providing a great, you know, experience across the finish line to our clients. You know, but mm-hmm. if they can do those two things, now I'm open to talking to them about what else they can do to help us grow our business. And, okay. you know, some things that, are, that would be really helpful is 
we have our 70 touch program, which includes some client appreciation events. You know, and having them yeah, be a right. part of it. You know, having them split the cost of it, having them show up, yep. and shaking hands with people, and and mm-hmm. you know, putting them putting a a face to the names of the clients that they've probably already worked with. You know, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So delivering, you know, delivering a you know, those messages, whether by way of our email drift marketing or client appreciation events or direct mail to our past clients and sphere of influence. Right. And so, you know, just teaming up and doing those things together. Uh, we, yeah. we have a big farm, you know, and we had, a, we had a lender that wanted to start farming as well, and so we decided to team up with them and farm together. You know, so we're putting out, you know, our unique messages together on on the same piece of marketing, but it's it's a lot more economical that way. Right, right, and I know, yeah, that all comes with the, uh, building the relationship. Um, so, the, one of the last questions I want to ask you is, what types of questions um, are you asking the loan officer on the buyer's side when you reach out to them, or, or your team, when you reach out to them? What types of questions are you asking them when you're um, about ready to present the offer to your seller. Um, and the reason, uh, there's a reason I ask this is because we, um, across the board, get honestly very silly questions from listing agents. Um, you know, when they call us and say, you know, here's your, you know, you just sent a pre-approval letter and they're calling you on the phone. They're saying, hi, I'm calling um, about the pre-approval letter you wrote. And you go, okay, great. And the first question is, well, do they qualify? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have written the letter. <laughs> and qualify. Sure. But so what are some what are some more astute questions that we could we could be maybe guiding um our listening and you know our the the people that we have relationships with and, and maybe educating them on better questions to ask but also when we do get some of these questions in that maybe we could just provide answers to questions they don't even know to ask. What are some questions that you found have been very beneficial for you? You know, I have, I have a form that I'll send over to the lender, and it's, it's a series of questions, and they just check the box if it's verified, and then they sign the bottom of it. And so we, we've turned it more into a system where we're not calling them and asking them, but more just sending the form. I'll try to remember all the questions that we have on that form, but, I mean, they're, they're pretty simple questions that are required to pre-qualify somebody. And Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be redundant that we're doing it, but you'd be shocked on how many that we get back where some of the steps haven't been completed. Um, you know, a big one is, you know, especially around this time of year, um, you know, have taxes. you received all the tax tax transcripts? You know, we have some people yeah. that have claimed what they made, you know, but they haven't received the transcripts yeah. back, and, and sometimes they change. Like, you might get their, yep, I know. You might get their statement, and then all of a sudden their CPA changes before they submit to the IRS and then yeah. when the transcripts come back, it, they're completely different than what they first disclosed mm-hmm. to you. You know, so we've yeah. had massive issues with that. Uh, delays in tax transcripts, you know, pushing back closing substantially. So, so we look for is, um, you know, uh, we just, there are different questions where have you verified their last two bank statements, verified the last two paycheck spent, are they full time, are they commissioned, uh, you know, commission based or salary? Um, verified the last two tax returns. Um, have you, you know, um, I don't think we kind of, I don't think we put on their verification of employment, but um, we also put on there um, uh, whether they're a citizen or not. You know, if they verified that, um, and 
and verified oh, their credit score and debt income ratios. And you'd be shocked how many we get back where, you know, they send us a pre-qualification letter, but when they fill that form out and we follow up with a call, they say, oh, yeah, you know, I haven't, I haven't gotten to those steps yet. But it says in the pre-qual wow. letter that it's still contingent on, you know, verification of, uh, and it's a very, you know, ambiguous, ambiguous statement, but says, you know, still contingent on, you know, verification of information or something like that. And so at that point, they'll come back to me and say, no, no, well, we already put in a letter that we still need to verify some of this stuff. But, you know, we, he told us that he's okay. So, yeah, you know, yeah. sometimes what we'll do is if we have multiple offers and one verification form comes back to us and everything is checked and the other one isn't, the seller goes to the one that's checked off on. Yeah, yeah, good call. Yeah. yeah, I was asked, uh, you know, asked, you know, whether assets need to be liquidated or if they have the assets, you know, aside from selling the house because the, the pre-approval level would be contingent upon that if they need to. But if not, um, so what's the, the deal? Where's the money, you know, where's the money coming from? Yeah. Now that's yeah. another one we have on there too, verification of liquid down payment. Mm-hmm. You know, in that way, yeah. they're like, I can't tell you how many times we've gotten pretty close to the closing and they said, well, we didn't realize the down payment was a gift or yeah. we didn't realize, you know, we just found out that the down payment was a loan from somebody, you know? And so, right. yeah, so we put all the questions on there. You know, every time we run into something, we add one on there. I think we're done adding them on there. There's maybe 10 or so, but anyway, so yeah. that's, those are the questions that we ask. Okay, excellent. Thank you for sharing that. I just think that's really good for us to, you know, hear as well and to even offer, especially, you know, we're right now where my market is, um, you know, we have 17 to 20 some offers um, per deal um, per house. And it's, uh, you know, we're back to writing letters, doing videos, uh, you know, doing all of, all of those things uh, for the borrower. So anything that we can do as a loan officer to, uh, provide that additional information that that a listing agent would find helpful you know we're not a listing agent so we don't know what they want to know other than you know a lot of them call and say what's their credit score and I can't tell you that you know I, I just can't but um, and another question I got I got yesterday is you know we're looking at this contract can they afford more I can't answer those questions now I'm part of the negotiation I'm not licensed to do that and um, so this would allow us you know with what you shared with us, it allows us to offer other solutions and other answers to questions that they maybe haven't asked but that we can divulge um, the, the information. So we thank you very much for that. Um, okay, so as we wind up here today, I have um, one last question. Well, I have two, two questions, but is there anything that you would like to leave us with today? And it could be real estate related or loan officer related, it doesn't matter, but is there anything that you'd like to leave us with on, on how we can scale our business um, utilizing teams, taking leadership, uh, marketing, up-level anything that we do? Yeah, I think that, I think one thing that a lot of people forget about and they just get really caught up in, in the whirlwind of the business. And if, if you want to build a big business and be able to be able, be able to accomplish all of your goals, I think that the number one thing that you have to do is find top talent to join your team. And then you consistently mm -hmm. have to take that talent and, and help them be the best version of themselves and, and hold them accountable to it. And, you know, being able to live your dreams and, and hit the goals that, that you set for yourself 
through other people, but at the same time helping mm-hmm. them hit their goals and dreams is, Bingo. Yeah. It, yeah, is, is, is what is going to take everybody to the next level and the people that are working for them to the level that they want to get to. Um, and so that's, that's our, that and training is our biggest focus right now. So that and um, uh, training, you said training. Yeah. Tr- yeah. Training, yeah. just ongoing okay. training to, to mm-hmm. again help them, you know, just become the best that they can be at what they're doing. Okay, excellent. Do you subscribe to any, um, like Brian Buffini, Tom Ferry? Um, do you subscribe to any of those, or have you been there, done that now? No, I've never done Buffini. I've never done Corcoran. I've never, <laughs> I've never done a lot of those. And okay, um, I've master, I've done a lot of masterminds with with top agents out there that have been gracious enough to share what they do with me. And so we've we've duplicated a lot of other models out there. And if anybody needs any systems or any, you know, I've talked a little bit about our 70 touch plan and such, I'd be more than happy to share that entire platform with anybody that wants it or anything else that we do. So that way they can, you know, grow their business. And I love to come from contribution and, and just help other people too. Thank you. That's, that's wonderful. So the last question is, what book are you reading right now? I am reading Crush It by Gary Vanderchuk. And Crush It? Uh, crush it. Yeah, okay. crush it. Yeah, yep. Reading crush it, and uh, yeah, it's a great question too. And we're also going through <laughs> as a team, uh, Brendan Bouchard High Performance Masters Academy, which I recommend everybody take their team through. It's an awesome experience. Okay, can you say that again? High performance. Yep, it's uh, Brendan Bouchard High Performance okay. Masters Academy. Okay, Masters Academy. Okay, good. And I'm sure my editors will catch that uh, for those of you listening, so that it'll be on the um, the show notes. I just want to be able to take a look at it sooner. <laughs> so, okay, I know. Wonderful. Well, it it has been a pleasure um, listening to all the things that you've done to um, create the success, and I'm really excited for you because you're so new in the in the industry relative to me, let me just say relative to me, <laughs> relative to me that you have so much more that you, um, that lies ahead uh, for you and your team and, and your life and your family. So we really, truly appreciate you taking the time to share uh, your story with us and your techniques with us so that we can improve ours as well. So thank you so much for being with us, Dave. Thank you. I, pre- I really appreciate it. All right, take care. So listen, everybody, put some uh, notes on to uh, or some reviews on to iTunes. Uh, let me know what you're thinking about everything. And I, I want to um, just say thank you to those of you that have been emailing me lately. And we've been having great phone calls um, on just me expanding on some of the things that we've been talking about on the podcast to help you um, improve your business and continue to grow. So thank you again for listening. And please don't keep me a secret. Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a comment or rating. Get more free email updates, transcripts, selling and education resources, and Jen's upcoming speaking events. Just visit our website at kineticsparkconsulting.com.